I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to episode number six of the Create More podcast with me, Ben Stewart. On this fortnight's podcast, I have Alistair Parvin, who, if you're not familiar with him, he ha- is one of the co-founders of WikiHouse, which is... Um, well, we go into it in the podcast in a lot of detail, but to try and lure you in, it is a, it's in like a, a worldwide online resource for free design data. So the idea is that anyone uh, can contribute and they can put up a design for anything they want. I mean, they're starting with a house, obviously, but um, and then the idea is that once it's on there, on there under a Commons Creative license, anyone in the world can download that design and build the design for free. They don't have to pay for the use of the design, which is a slightly controversial topic, I guess, especially on the on the understanding of like creative creative ideas and things. So I talk about that a lot. I, I, genuinely, I know a lot of my architecture friends are a little bit skeptical of uh, giving your ideas away for free. But I've got to say, after you listen to him chat for about the next 45 minutes to an hour, uh, I think you'll be uh, optimistically surprised. So he did a TED talk called uh, Architecture for the People, uh, which explains all about WikiHouse. And it's had, on, how it had? It's had almost 1.2 million views, which is mental. Um, so it's pretty much the same age as me. So we start off straight away talking about the TED talk. Uh, we go into loads of detail about the WikiHouse, about how it started, about uh, there's uh, different chapters of WikiHouse, so he's kind of created or he's co-founded this, uh, this amazingly open source architecture, which is exactly what it is. So if you're interested in, in that idea, then you're going to absolutely love this podcast. So we have a really in-depth chat and you can tell by the podcast he's very enthusiastic about it, which I love. Um, so yeah, I, I hope you really enjoy it because we go into a lot of detail and it's great. So I'll keep my chat to a minimum because we do we do chat for quite a while. So uh, yeah, listen to the end to find out who's on next fortnight's podcast because I think you're going to be pretty impressed with who I've got. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed the podcast and I'll see you guys at the end. basic premise of the podcast was that um it's called create more for reason i'm obviously an architect mm-hmm. and uh as i worked at make the longer i worked here the more i realized that the kind of creative industry as a whole is so much bigger than the kind of the tiny little pocket that i've been working in mm. for mm. you know i've been doing detailing and mm. building a building mm. and I, I kind mm. of i came out of it thinking the well, world i love architecture but there's so many other things mm. i wanted to look at and especially being here, I mean, we've got, you know, like publishing houses and all sorts of like special effects houses and stuff. And I was like, I really want to know more. But yeah. and also the practices, you know, I've only worked at makers like for as a major practice and they do fantastic things. But that's not to say that other practices don't also do really interesting yeah, yeah, things. Yeah. So um, so the podcast was really my way to kind of step in. Nice. and find out expand yeah yeah i mean i would never get the opportunity to come and see see how you're working but i should say that um 
that I'm just recording and that we are recording now. Fine. And there, there is no, this is my introduction to you. Fine. So I am, I'm sat here with Alistair Parvin. Thank you very much for coming. And uh, I think, again, I was, uh, this was while I was looking to the bigger creative industry when I saw your TED talk. Uh, I guess that's how everyone kind of is, uh, is first introduced. Mm. And um, I do want to talk lots about lots of things, WikiHouse and stuff. But um, first of all, just we're very similar age mm-hmm. and doing a tech talk sounds really cool <laughs> and was it was it fun to do i mean how did they how did they come and approach you or did you go to them and it say was, i've got this idea that i'm trying to it was strange i don't really know um i mean it, what was kind of, it's interesting what you say because i think when we were at architecture school myself and a bunch of friends in a way ted talks were the thing that invaded the bubble of architecture um and suddenly forced you to step outside the fairly narrow framing the very narrow framing of the applications of design thinking at that time and suddenly you're having to think about economics about behavioral economics about science etc etc in these very bite-sized chunks so it was a huge it had been a huge influence and we almost used them myself and a group of friends uh, we almost used them as a kind of propaganda tool within the architecture school to kind of broaden the conversation so oh in uh, a way of like have you seen this TED yeah, talk yeah exactly yeah. exactly and actually for me one of the TED talks that for example just completely probably changed the course of my life was um, one called The Long Tail by Chris Anderson not Ted Chris Anderson the other one um, and that concept and I then of course read the book etc and that that concept has you know probably shaped everything I've done so um that had always been there and then and my friend says oh they're doing this thing in London where you can send in a two minute video about what you want to do a TED talk about um and I'd been uh, actually really before we'd even been working on WikiHouse I'd been thinking very hard about this problem of the fact that architecture only works for you know the 1% really um, in hard economic terms so I sent in a, a brief thing and then I got invited to do a thing and then uh Ted, Chris Anderson happened to be there. And then before I knew it, I was being invited to Ted. This is all very well and good. The the interesting thing about Ted is it makes total sense from the outside. And and you're like, this is great. I love it. And they've actually achieved a remarkable thing, which is to create a room in which, um, you know, a left-wing feminist activist feels like they're on the same team as a CEO of a major corporation, which is is not a small feat. And it's not a a fake thing. It's it's a real thing. It's a shared culture. and it makes total sense from the outside until suddenly you're there and you're about to walk onto this stage. And it's not just a stage, right? It's not just the red dot. It's the fact that they've dissolved the back wall, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it suddenly goes, well, hold on a minute. How does this make sense? You know, I'm, I'm going on um, like... Uh, after a yo-yo guy and before Amanda Palmer, the singer, and then after <laughs> that is one of my all-time heroes, Larry Lessig. You know, how does this fit together? And you think, well, maybe... I'd, you know, I'm just going to talk and, and people are just going to look dumbly like, what on earth is this guy talking about? I'd not thought of the fact that when you see the TED Talk, it's just you. Yeah. I, I don't see who's before. And the exactly. fact that you must have gone, well, I mean, what is it? am yeah. I as cool as a yo-yo guy? I yeah, no, exactly. And these insanely <laughs> cool people. And so I'm just here talking about, you know, what seems, you know, maybe not such a huge thing. And did you get a good reaction from it then? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, it was completely amazing. And, and in some ways, I wish... I'd known then what I know now. I mean, I, I, I did it with my eyes open in the sense that um, we live in an extraordinary age, which is that previously, if you wanted to do something, you needed huge amounts of capital and money and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. If you were just a person with an idea and uh, you were a bunch of friends 
you didn't stand a chance. We're suddenly in this age where you can. And yeah. so that was, you know, it's like, okay, let's give this a shot. Let's put this idea out there. And um, we did. And uh, <laughs> but, but it has a cost. And everyone sees the cool bit. And, of course, it also has a cost to it. I mean, and the, and the warning should have been when you sign up, you know, that you're filling information as a TED speaker. It says, insert your PA's details here. <laughs> and we're like, well, I can't even pay my own salary, <laughs> uh, let alone a PA's salary. Did you just um, put your name again? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's me twice. Um, and uh, that that should have been the, the warning bell as well, because, of course, what you get is hundreds and hundreds of emails. And you feel like you've made this um, promise to the world. And um, I think I that was a real really thrown into the deep end when suddenly you have hundreds of emails oh, so at the point you were like people saying oh this is the greatest thing I've ever heard or you're an idiot or <laughs> you know whatever and then learning how the hard bit is actually learning how to convert that um, into an actual thing with mm. legs and wheels and a bank so account how early on we'll talk about WikiHouse Wiki but how early on from you having the idea and developing it, did for, from was it years until you did the TED talk? Or was it well, I mean, quick? if you speak to everyone involved in WikiHouse, they'll give you a different story about where WikiHouse comes from, and that's good. Right? Yeah. Um, there's another really good TED talk, but I can't remember the name of the guy who gave it. Who makes a really good point, which is um, that when people were cheering, uh, you know, the speech by Martin Luther King, uh, they weren't doing it because they cheering because they liked Martin Luther King. They were cheering because Martin Luther King put into words something that they already thought and felt. And I think it's the same with something like that. So there was already hundreds, thousands of designers, young designers, young architects who were thinking in this way. Hmm. Um, and I think WikiHouse just is the the right framing. And they go, yes, this is what we've been talking about. Yeah, um, let's use this vehicle. So. Um, and I think even with the kind of core group of us who kind of began thinking about this, we all came from a different angle. For me, I had been, um, I don't know, about sort of as I came out of university really or sometime before that, I'd accidentally, I'd, I thought I was going to train to be an architect or a designer and I accidentally became a kind of design economist. Um, and I uh, started looking into the economics of housing and why it is that some of the richest countries in the world have a housing crisis. You know, when you think about it, it's mad, right? It's not that hard to provide 50 million people with a house, not, not right? A bit like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yet we, we're failing, right? So there's something in the economics that's not working. Um, and so I'd begun to kind of um, study that and um, I, I, I wrote a thing at, at, uh, at uni uh, which was called the profit function, in which I basically argued that um, almost everything we think we know about architecture is is rubbish because <laughs> just hubristically, you know, just modestly wrote that thing. That, because I was basically arguing that actually, um, if you look at the de facto purpose of most architecture that we were producing, we were actually working for real estate developers. And so what we thought we were designing houses, we were not. We were designing real estate assets for yeah. developers. And most architects don't understand that. They still don't understand it. More understand it now than did before. Um, but hardly anyone was talking about it. Because you had that great quote, which is, uh, form doesn't follow function, form follows finance. Yeah, which, by the way, is borrowed. Um, I don't know where from, but oh. I'm sure I I'm sure I'll let you have it. I'm sure, thanks. Take it. <laughs> I'm sure I wasn't the first. Because I've always said that um, I was interviewing uh, anyone, any architect that I've interviewed, that uh, I was someone from Studio Weave, Jay from Studio yeah. Weave, that's where I was, and that's where I got your address mm -hmm. from. Uh, he, he was saying for his part one or post part one project, he did a live project that got built. And I was like, that is way better than any fictional project mm. that I could have thought of because mm. think how many different avenues that you you learnt there that you didn't think you needed but you, that's all you rely on when you come out of architecture school is like yeah. it all just comes down to money and, and what the client's willing to pay for and I think that's always been an eye opener for me as well is that 
any project, the very first thing you talk about is money. And I guess unless you, unless you like your very, you know, your yeah. that your kind of the kind of document that you did. It's really interesting the idea of you looking at the actual money, looking mm. at the source of it. Uh, exactly, and for, I mean, uh, when I think you, I always think we could quite healthily s- replace the word design with purpose, right? And there's this lovely concept in Greek called teleology or telos, which is the, the way a thing int- ex- reflects its purpose. So, in my hand is a mug; it has a handle and a thing. I mean, it looks really clearly articulates what its purpose is, which is a portable puddle that yeah. has a handle. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, and and I think. As a designer, you, you have to understand what is the deep fundamental purpose behind your work. Otherwise, you're just furnishing something. And actually, yeah, this recognition that almost everything that at that time, this is before the, the crash or just around the time of the crash, um, almost everything that at the time most designers or architects were moaning about and calling bad design wasn't bad design. It was actually very, very good design if your purpose is to make speculative real estate profits <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, right. and 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 so i kind of tongue-in-cheek wrote this thing called uh, you know form follows finance in which i kind of arg- argued the best way to you know make a profit using real estate and lo and behold it's what most buildings look like yeah um so i got into that and um that then had led on to the next thing where i uh, i'd started to look at well what's the alternative how do you change the values the procurement behind architecture it's stepping beyond the traditional space that you're allowed to be as a designer and mm. saying no actually I, I, we need to get into the we need to understand the economics behind what we're doing and we need to see them as something to be designed and it's a really straightforward simple thing and i you know i say this again and again that there is only one group of people in the world every government right now has a policy to build more environmentally friendly buildings mm. there is only one group of people in the world who have a direct economic incentive to put more insulation in the walls and that is the people who are going to live there and pay the heating bills it's really simple stuff yeah and yet that is the one group of people who we've never taken seriously as a force for house building we're completely dependent on top-down centralized development models for housing, whether it's the state in the 60s or whether it's the market, you know, real estate market since then. And so we don't realize that architecture's history, as we think it is, is actually not a real history. It's a kind of pulling along the coattails Mm -hmm. of this economic shift about centralized industrial models for production of housing. As you said, it's like a... um, You were saying that... uh, I've completely lost my train of thought. (laughs) You were saying that developers... You're, you're, as an architect, you're basically creating for for a developer, mm. and you, you kind of the form follows finance thing is something that just really stuck in my head, and uh, I just I kind of the way I see it is um, it's I don't understand why it's not taught more mm. this idea of economics it's baffling, before, yeah, isn't it? yeah. because I, I was uh, I was actually just in a meeting where we said something about the design and. The developers kind of rolled their eyes and went, architect. Yeah. Because we were essentially yeah. suggesting something that was a lot more complicated and expensive, yeah. but we genuinely believed it would look a lot nicer. Yeah. And it was the kind of collective uh, architect. But if, you, but if you don't understand the value behind what's going there. So, I mean, I was, uh, you know, even when I was doing things like student projects, I got into this thing of where you start every project by going, what is the root question here mm. behind this project? Um you know, and, and there's that wonderful Cedric Price quote, uh, you know, we should be less interested in the design of bridges and more interested in how to get to the other side. And, you know, that's what's great about him because he wasn't, he sort of set this path where you, you don't think about schools, think about education, don't think about hospitals, think about health. So when you look through just buildings to the actual form of value, well, it's really, really clear what's going on. And again, it, 
you know, it's it's not controversial stuff. You know, it's been written in government reports for many, many years is that in an inflating real estate sector, a developer, by definition, is not there to build homes. They're, hit, they're there to make 20% return for their shareholders mm. by buying land, increasing its value and selling it for more. And if they can do that without building homes, by the way, they will. Yeah. And often they do. Um, and uh, what that means is that everything that we as architects and the public and the government see as good about our homes, i.e. sustainability, affordability, high quality, you know, flexibility, strong communities, everything we see as good about homes, they see as costs. Mm. Now, that's not because they're bad people. They're perfectly good, decent people and go for a drink with them. You know, I'm sure you have. Yeah. Right. They're perfectly normal people. It's because they are in this old business model and it's not going to last forever and it and it's done there's and, also no incentive you know, on them to increase production i've always thought this exactly like, and th this is one of the great myths <laughs> right now in housing <laughs> crisis is that people talk about housing crisis and then on comes some spokesperson for something and they say oh it's a problem of supply and demand let's release more land to the house builders and, and as you rightly say it's not it's not supply and demand it's a market failure it doesn't matter how much land you give to a developer no sensible developer is ever going to build so fast that the prices start coming down mm. it's like asking a I've heard someone say this. It's like asking a diamond salesman to reduce the price of diamonds. You know, it just doesn't make sense. So they're, they're never, ever going to solve the housing crisis because they're literally perfectly designed not to. Yeah. Now, instead of sitting around moaning or, you know, getting out placards and trying to beat them around the head, I think the, the, the beauty of being a designer is you take a step back and say, well, hold on, if this game isn't going to solve the problem, let's design one that will. And I think that's the interesting thing that's happening with design right now is that creativity and creative thinking and strategic thinking is moving beyond just, oh, we make the objects. Yeah. Uh, we spend the money. to the idea that, no, we design the processes. We understand the value behind these things. And we can actually des design those strategies and those processes. And, and I think that's what lies behind projects like WikiHouse is where we begin to see, okay, there's a series of quite fundamental industrial shifts going on here and technological shifts that mean we don't have to do it like that anymore. So go going back, is, is it, when did you do the right to build? So um, that was... So that, explain what that was? To so yeah, know. right to build was after I um, sort of then graduated, I graduated right at the moment of recession, which is in a, a sense Perfect of a, a blessing, right? Because oh, really? <laughs> well, in a way it was, because of course, if things had been, I, I'd, wor I'd worked for two years for Richard Rogers or Rogers Stuck Harbour, so yeah. they became architects, and it was just wonderful. Like, it was such a lovely place to be and work. And I think it would have been so tempting to just go back and, and carry on doing that. Yeah. And actually, of course, it wasn't an option. Um, and so it sort of launched into this slightly more uncertain phase of, okay, what, what do we do here? So it's just sort of following the ideas, really. Um, and so, yeah, this opportunity came up through my former tutor to get a little bit of research money, and I could basically propose whatever I wanted. So I said, well, actually, housing is the single most important thing we could be talking about right now. Um, and so I started working on this this piece of research. Um, Sorry, how are you at that point? Why was that such a passion for you? Having come from Rogers, and obviously you probably worked mm. on some amazing buildings anywhere in mm. the world, mm. to suddenly then take a step back and go no no houses i mean i'm just saying that because you seem so passionate about it straight from the off like what was it a uni work that you did that was kind of you got didn't you get an award for a uni project or yeah kind of yeah yeah it? yeah um i think i mean it's difficult to answer this without sounding incredibly pompous i just wanted to be useful right you've got to find a problem that needs solving um and it seemed incredibly self-evident that 
as I said, you know, we're in a developed country and yet we have housing crisis. Mm. And actually, by the way, the more you study it, the more you realise that actually all the developed countries have essentially the same pattern. The housing systems are failing them in the same way. Um, so it's just this question of being useful. Plus also, I'm much more interested in the long tail, the many with a bit than mm. the few with a lot. You know, I was fundamentally, you know, I'm really interested in the history of the middle classes and the rise of those basic rights where we all got to have a house and a fridge and you know that which times, all the times. yeah all the things that we take for granted but this is explosion you know if you look yeah. back at obviously america is the quintessential example you look back at the history of florida in the 1950s the population explodes out of nowhere and a lot of it has to do with two forces one is retirement of forces personnel and the other is the invention of air conditioning um and we we i think we've we've we, those forms of middle class abundance and security the baby boomer generation had this amazing era mm. where they had education they had amazing public services they had this idea of a steady job the idea that you could affordably get a house that doesn't exist for this generation that's gone yeah. and I think th that is a very real question of how do we create that um, abundance for most people um, in a sustainable equitable way that's a design problem it's not just a politics problem yeah um so why would you just go and faff around on this frankly otherwise rather narrow industry of um architects i'll be blunt making funny shapes for rich people yeah you know when there's so many other interesting problems out there why would you do that it is fun i guess <laughs> but as uh, as now i'm not saying it's bad by the way i'm just saying that it's one very very tiny corner of design's potential contribution and again Cedric Price used to talk um, you know very eloquently about this is you know architecture needs to work hard to be as useful as dentistry or butchery yeah you know we should be but I think it I can't I think I think I heard you talk about this in another interview was um it does feel to me that like homeowners as a collective are either like that we're like the biggest cartel or a monopoly because mm. now I have a house Mm. and you're in the system you're like yeah, yeah it's alright but uh, yeah my house going up in value yeah, it's great <laughs> well actually you say that it's really interesting because a year or two ago there was a really interesting piece of research done by Shelter and one of the polling companies I can't remember which YouGov or Populous um, and this was led by um, Toby Lloyd at Shelter who's a really really smart guy so if you ever are feeling confused about what the housing crisis actually is go and just google toby lloyd and um you'll find him explaining it i think i'm gonna chase him up for a future podcast then i think yeah he no, he's put his name forward listen to him yeah he's he's a very smart guy um and they found a really interesting thing in this poll where for the first time in decades the majority of the british electorate no longer believed that their house going up in value was a good thing now this wasn't because we'd all suddenly woken up and learned how to do economics because of course it was never good for us everyone goes oh my house just gone up in value well if your house just doubled in value it just means your next house also doubled in value or got half as big so don't be surprised when britain's building the smallest houses in western europe of course Aww. right burst my bubble now yeah i know but I mean, <laughs> it, 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 the only people who benefit from continuously inflating property prices are people who work in the property industry mm. and people right at the end of their lives down trading but of course they don't you know so the reason why it happened wasn't because we just woke up and sort of learned how to do maths. It was because um, basically the, the failure of this system has got to such a pinch point. The baby boomers always assumed they would be able to help their kids into housing. And suddenly there's a whole generation of people 
um, who realise that it's got so mental that they cannot do that anymore. They cannot help their kids get into housing. So it's actually the family ties that are this generational divide that is allowing us to wake up and go, oh no, hold on, that was a myth. It wasn't housing growth, it mm. was inflation. Um, it wasn't this boom, it wasn't an urban renaissance, it was actually a massive economic failure and we've, we've got to find another way of I doing it. I think especially in London. I mean, yeah. being so... Uh, obviously, having just gone through the whole process, just mm. just to kind of be pushed further and further away from the centre was. Ex if you look at where we've rented and then where we've bought each yeah. time every two years, we've just pushed ourselves further and further back. And um, I think I, I know from personal experience, friends who are like, "Well, I'm never going to get a house." Yeah. Like, I, so they're always. You say, I mean, what I think is one of the reasons the housing crisis is so interesting is you don't have to be super poor to be being screwed by it as you say even people who are in a house are in a smaller house than they should be or they're being shoved miles and miles away from their jobs or from the mm. city or from their work as you say there's this sort of tidal wave of hipsters being pushed out <laughs> into yeah. these neighborhoods where suddenly working class you know people are going where the hell did all these beards come from yeah and of course it's all to do with property prices yeah and it's 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 just frustrating and I think I think what's frustrating as well is that you you see these communities build, creative communities mm. especially, mm. seem to be based around this kind of not a zero pressure environment. But you get the feeling that uh, I went, um, I did the triathlon on the weekend and cycled back along the Hackney Canal that goes all the way past the Olympics, and I'd cycled in the morning. I just used my sat nav and just cycled straight along the roads, and it was like. A, dodgiest place in the world I was like I do not want to stop on my wonderful bike and then got the canal back and the canal was probably the most interesting cycle I've ever had because every canal boat had loads of people in it they were having barbecues and they had loads mm. of bars and shops and then I saw studio spaces and like it was so weird to have this kind of divide but you get the feeling because they've been pushed out they've built this community yeah. and I would imagine that the second people clock on to the fact oh that's Oh, this is perfect. I'm going to gentrify uh, but, the hell out of uh, this area. Exactly, and this is this is the strange paradox of of development. You could call it that. You know, for years they kind of called it the the Bilbao effect, didn't they? When when a funny shaped piece of architecture increases the rents. But we for very for a long time, architecture has been part of a compact, which is you know about urban renaissance, where we made the city physically better, we regenerated the city. But then, of course, the objective it was funded by the rents going up. Now, the irony of this is that you look back in history and where did the most creative, most exciting neighbourhoods emerge from? Your Shoreditches, your East Villages in New York. None of them were planned from top down, yeah. for one. They were almost all emergent and, you know, adopting old buildings or made by the people who were living there, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but most importantly, they began with low rents. That was the single most thing, most powerful yeah. thing you can do for your creative economy in your city is have low rents. Yeah. And, of course, you start off with low rents and the artists move in and the creatives move in. And then on top of that, soon uh, other companies start, startup companies start and it gets really exciting. And sooner or later, the estate agents move in, <laughs> et cetera, yeah. and then the cycle repeats itself. And so you have this kind of, as you say, this wave of creativity being squeezed out. Yeah. But that, in a way, is quite a depressing picture. And uh, another part of what something that we've been looking at, uh, at uh, Architecture Zero Zero it, for a long time, is this question of... Um, commons in cities and um, I think one of the answers um, that we we sort of proposed to um, number 10 and to the, the GLA and people like that was um, the recognition that if you really want to um, have innovation and creativity etc in your city um, you've got to do something about giving people a low point of access 
even when the rents go up. Mm. And I think, you know, back in medieval times, they knew how to do that. It was commons, right? A space which you do not need to have own, but you have access rights of access to and we've seen a re-explosion recently in the last few years of things like fab labs of the same idea yeah that a space that you can just get you don't need to own it but you get access to it so if you're a young 14 year old with a crazy idea it's no you don't have to go and sit in a job that you hate in miles away you know mm. you actually can get access to that thing try it out and then maybe if it turns into a business then you start going into the rental market etc etc well that's why i can so, so on that bike ride looking people have built their own everything mm. it, it was like a real do-it-yourself this whole yeah. area and it lended itself such such an interesting unique view you know it's like well what would people build if they could build whatever they wanted mm. with their own amount of money and it kind of that's what kind of got me onto WikiHouse, like just thinking about it and um I went to the first people I interviewed was Assemble Studios mm-hmm. and went over to their Sugar House. Yeah, I don't know if you've been it's there. Beautiful, and, yeah. Yeah, and but that was all built themselves, and it it, it had that total Wiki House feel to it. Mm. But um, I mean, you'll have to describe Wiki House because I keep mentioning it. But um, what I liked was there's this kind of fusion of massive amounts of free online technology, yeah, huge infrastructure around the world to communicate with people, yeah, coupled with the architecture side that I'm mm. I love and am involved mm. in which is why it kind of seemed seemed so nice to kind of see that kind of full circle of going from Assemble Studios and then getting you yeah. to come and sit in but to people who don't know and you should watch the TED talk but um, it, it, why don't you explain what WikiHouse is because it kind of leads on perfectly from that so um, in some ways it's it's a way in the, in the most broad terms it's a way of taking those forms of development actually that we love because they're made by the people who are going to live there you know they're made uh, with those sorts of values in mind um and um saying no that's scalable now that doesn't have to be uh too difficult this kind of marginal thing so um in in sort of wonkish terms um it's really at the crossover of several big shifts it's the first thing is um, everything that's been happening to the web for the last 10 years, mm. which is the web gives us the capability to share information freely and cheaply online. Now that has a huge implications for design because the whole design industry was you know, this, based on this world where um, you know, we were just re- re-solving the same problems again and again, over, you know, over and over again. Yeah. Incredibly inefficient because we didn't share information that we didn't. Suddenly you can share files, you know, freely online. So why wouldn't you, you know? So again, it's not that innovative. It's actually already been happening in the world of code and videos, mm. YouTube, Wikipedia for the last 10 years. Um, it's now coming to the world of physical things. And one of the reasons why it's now coming to the world of physical things is because of the availability of machines like CNC machines. Um, and 3D printers and things like that. Mm. So when you look at the crossover between those tools, you you suddenly realised that there was a quite fundamental industrial shift taking place when we were no longer going to be dependent on massive companies and top-down supply chains to produce very high-performance things. Mm. Um, You could suddenly put an amazing amount of power into the hands of small businesses and end-users very very low cost to produce amazing things that customize so in very simple terms WikiHouse is a it's a it's a building system and it's an open source building system so if you imagine a kind of digital lego where everyone shares the digital blocks of a building system under an open source license so you can just take them and build what you want with them and then effectively from that you can 
essentially print out the parts for a house, which is just like printing out a kit using a machine that, unlike previous prefabrication factories, would cost you hundreds of thousand pounds. You can get a CNC machine for as little as two thousand pounds. To someone who doesn't know um, what a CNC machine, you're talking like basically quite uh, big. The ones that yeah, you it's a, the have. size of. I mean, it's a bit bigger than the sheet of a plywood you can get from B and Q, because yeah. that's what goes onto <clears> it. So imagine a cross between. Um, uh, a home printer and a drill imagine strapping a drill to a massive printer and basically you put <laughs> a sheet of plywood on it and it cuts out any parts that you want so um, it's it's like 3D printing but unlike it doesn't ooze additively it's not yeah. additive manufacturing it cuts and the reason we started with that technology was because it's already out there there's mm. already these machines in you know in small businesses all, all around Britain all over the world um, and so you can move to this this distributed local production model. So we can move from this world where factories are incredibly centralised, um, you know, often offshore or whatever, to a world where suddenly the factory is everywhere, where it's distributed, where you, your local community, your local fab lab have, have a, essentially a factory-like capability. Um, and... And then uh, you can essentially print out all these this this kit, and you have essentially the mother of all IKEA kits. Yeah. And you need plywood, just as that's the most readily available. It, it's or it, is it, it, can it be in certain economies, right? So it's plywood now. The idea of open source is you don't need to solve all the problems for everybody. You solve one problem, and you allow people to share it. So what you need is standards. You need to have a standard that we all share and have in common. Mm. And and those standards do already exist um, in panel products. So it doesn't have to be plywood. It can be any structural panel product. And, of course, there'll be more people inventing more panel products all the time. Yeah, um, I did think that, actually. Uh, we're just doing up our house at the moment. Yeah. And I just saw and we've got an IKEA bench along the back wall. And I was thinking, if you could just make that as a series of flat 2D shapes bolted together... Yeah. I was suddenly like, "Why? Wow, there's tons of stuff I could build here. If you just, if you want to do any outdoor furniture, it can just be waterproof ply, and then you can just you can, yeah." And I was thinking, well, "I wonder if they've got that on there." Yeah, well, you can go on OpenDesk, which is WikiHouse's sister project, which was really conceived around around a similar time, um, and they do furniture, so that's what obviously does what it says on the tin. So, so how does? No, I'm going to talk a lot more about WikiHouse. I still, I still <laughs> love it, but I, I do want to get to like. How does anyone make any money? But that's so just mm-hmm. keep that in the back of your head. But so f- for WikiHouse, because um, I'm going to talk a lot about it because it's mm-hmm. got me so excited. Was um, the uh, I, w- I watched you just did a little video and you said I'm just let you guys we're releasing version four mm, point two uh, mm-hmm. four point two and um, I watched the video and you had all the SketchUp models mm-hmm. and and SketchUp is it's got to be the most widely used CAD program now because it's so free and yeah. anyone can it's so simple to use. Yeah. And once you broke, because you had like a full, like a two-story house, or one, mm. yeah, two-story yeah. house, and but you ran through. I'm li- literally about to go and build it on Saturday. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm going to go and join in on site. Wicked. Whereabouts are you building it? It's up in Warwickshire. No, is this for a client or it's for is a client? It? Yeah. Got paid. Yeah. All yeah. right. Yeah. I'll come back to the money. It's a total myth that there's no money. There's much, much more money in open source. Okay, because I want you to yeah. sell it. Sell yeah. it to me. Yeah. We'll come back and, to that. Okay. And uh, I do. I do just really want to make people go and look at it because mm. I. Obviously, you're here, so I'm obviously going to be really nice about it. But I do. It was. It, you can be nasty as well. I mean, we're up for that. I mean, we should have God, a good I hate debate. It. No. Yeah. Well, I know. I saw it, and uh, when you say wiki house, house just kind of straight away, and it'd be too complicated for me. Yeah. It'd be too complicated. Yeah. And then I saw you do the SketchUp model. I was like, there's so many pieces. Yeah. People are baffled when they discover how simple it is. Yeah. Actually. And then you just kept clicking into these group of things, and you went. 
this is the module, this yeah. is how you increase the width of it. And by and the way, even that is still very difficult. So there's um, a guy on our team now who's worked, and there's actually loads of people in the community, but he's coordinating it, um, working on how we use parametric models to effectively make that bit unnecessary oh, just as ding, well. Ding, ding, ding. So exactly, you just say, I want a house that's this high, this long, this long, and an algorithm will do the actual writing. So you can actually think of WikiHouse as a kind of coding language for space. Nice. If you think about it, or a language, and that's another argument about open source. Like, imagine if someone tried to own the English language and tried to get you to pay a license every time you used it. It wouldn't work, right? Yeah. So, open is just a way to be much, much more efficient because we all become part of the same R and D team because we can all speak one language. So, you can think of WikiHouse as a language, and that lit in the future that will be. It is now. We haven't released them yet. Um, be getting plugged straight into a little a parametric. But app. what I th what yeah. I thought was um. Because when I heard it, I was like, that's a great idea. I saw the TED Talk and then obviously researched into it more. And then um, you always think, well, okay, yeah, it'd be nice for a shed. Mm. This is my this mm. is my initial thought pattern. Yeah, it'd be right for a shed or a study at the new garden. But you yeah. can't make a house out of it. Yeah. Think, I, mean, I think how complicated yeah, a house complicated is. Those. And then actually when you said, you know, this will meet current building regulations, yeah. we're looking into like... Uh, in. Like yeah, the, we're talking about technologies that massively outperform. I mean, which isn't hard because most construction is so stuck in the dark ages right now. But, um, you know, our kind of favorite boasting point is the prototype we built last year um, at the, uh, the store street. We got the, and I mean, this is true of most of wiki houses you build, but, uh, you know, particularly with this one. Um, you got out a tape measure at the end and we measured the house. And the difference, the deviation from the digital model and the real house along the whole length of the house was five millimeters. <laughs> right and normally to get that basically you have to go to a german company i mean bluntly put mm, yeah true but this was made by mostly amateurs right and that's the power of this stuff it's like it, it's addressing this you know this thing that's we always talk about this thing the too damn difficult problem you can harness that complexity by you, know, you can take that complexity off the table and that's what that's the power of, of what this stuff can do and uh, so i guess i i'm sure there's this has been done hundreds of times before by different companies to make mm. like uh, houses that clip together. But mm. what I thought was interesting was you, you kept saying it's it's a platform, mm. but and you create rules, yeah. not 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 to lock anyone in, but it just it makes the whole infrastructure of how how it's distributed and how you work it. And you had set modules and grids, so like window manufacture. I think you're doing a wiki. It looked like you're doing a wiki. We window. are, yeah. It's early stages yet, and we'd love to work with. Um a window company to develop that as an open source product in their supply chain. Would um, any developer, a glazing developer, yeah, yeah, really? Yeah. Okay, we'll get onto the money part because that's all <laughs> this, this is, this is again. a ghost in the back of the room. Let's yeah. keep it there. And, and we'll, we'll uh, come back to it. And, uh, but to see, um, well, one, you, I saw you build one. You built it in, I guess, uh, this was, like, I guess, a fair of some description. Mm. I, couldn't, I couldn't remember which one it is. But then you dismantled it again, put it in the back mm. of the room, and you had all your computers and everything in there. Mm. And I, I just thought when I saw it, you, it just, it sparked, sparked open so many other ideas. What if you can do that? And then straight away, I was like, well, can you build double ones? Can you build quadruple hmm. ones? Side it's Lego. Side? You can build within the rules. You can yeah. build really anything you want. It's just the rules evolve. And you, you kind of, that's the power of the kind of, kind of you limit the rules, but then you allow mm. within those. On Lego, it's the same, right? You can't, yeah. the, the little circles on Lego, that sort of sit, yeah. knock you into a grid. Um, it's just that now with the digital thing that if you like, that grid is fractal. That modularity is fractal, if that doesn't sound too mm. mental thing to say, i.e. it's modular all the way down. Um, and so we're trying to build a language which is as product agnostic as possible. So it's not you're not locked into using one company or anything. Mm. You can respond to almost anything. But by setting certain limits and rules, of course, you make other things possible. So following on from that, I heard um, 
one of the things that I liked was this this was going back to the Hackney Canal route mm. and, and another talk you did was um I was like, Well, all right, how do I how can you actually me as a person, I want to go and build and live in one of these houses. Mm. I was like, well, surely the challenge in in England, I'm sure around the world where there's more available it's land, land, it's it's yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's land, and yeah. it's. I would imagine, especially in London, that proportionally the the money that you're spending is just for land, yeah. and then the actual cost. But it's still very high to build a house. Yeah. But I was thinking, what, well, how, how could you? How could you develop a scheme in such a way that the that the land is there for you to Correct. build these houses yeah. on? Right. So I mean, we have to be really clear about this. There is no hardware solution to the housing crisis, mm. right? People will say, well, "Why hasn't prefabrication taken?" Well, actually, is a really good set of reasons for that. Is again, yeah, again, I'm quoting Cedric Price. Um, it was Cedric you know, Price Day last week. It, you did tell today, me today. Yeah, is it today? There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but um, the. Uh, you know, technology is the answer, but what was the question, right? Mm. And the problem is that we've been asking the wrong question of prefabrication because you can go to a speculative developer and say, hey, I've developed a technology that allows you to build a house twice as fast for half the money. And they say, thanks very much. I'll just take a bigger margin, but I'm still going to sell it for the same amount at the end. And we saw that a few years ago. Do you remember they had the 60K house competition? Yeah. And lots of architects came up with very sort of brilliant ideas for 60K house or a house you could build for 60K. And then they went on the market. How much did it cost? 250K. <laughs> Well, if if I was a developer, why would I sell it for any less? Exactly, right. So the question is, well, who owns the land? Now, there is a compact there. There there is a a point where they cross over, though, because the question is, why don't we have a market for land? Why can't we get access to land? Mm. Because um, we don't take the citizen sector seriously. We don't see that as a scalable force. We see it as too damn difficult. Mm. And the message of something like WikiHouse to say, no, it's not too damn difficult. And so it was really interesting because when I was working on Right to Build, we get to a point where everyone would say, yeah, we agree with you, but it's too damn difficult. Or it was almost, it was hard to get people to talk about issues like land procurement, the planning system, Mm. et cetera. Um, And suddenly the moment you show people WikiHouse, it flips and they go, hold on a minute, why can't I buy a plot of land? And they start asking those questions yeah. about saying, no, hold on a minute. Why is why do we get swallowed this state versus market debate about who should own the land? Why can't we get land directly to citizens? Mm. And so one of the other, you know, and obviously right to build is, was part of a kind of policy push in a way. And there's, you know, we were one of many people who were pushing towards the government to start taking custom build or this broader term that uh, uh, the citizen sector seriously. Um and uh, there's been some progress on that because now right to build was a policy that was consulted on. We didn't do that. That wasn't that wasn't us. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, we were hopefully contributed towards that. Um, but the uh, I think the one big policy that we, I, I would really love to see is to recognize that this state versus market um, speculative housing versus open quotes affordable housing, which is an increasingly meaningless term, is not going. It's not the right lens. It's not the way, right way to understand what the, what the actual problem is. Mm. So what I've been proposing is a very very simple thing, which is that we could create a new land use class in the planning system called C five, which is um, land for custom build. In other words. Um, land which is non-speculative development so it's direct development so the land can only be sold to the people who are actually going to live there so we're saying look developers you continue doing what you're doing but we're also going to make this parallel land market uh, effectively which is just for people who want to buy their own home mm. to build their own homes so we basically say look the, the um, you should always have this right to be able to buy a plot and buy your own land because 
what's actually going on, and this is true in London as well, is that the speculative investment, i.e. homes being treated as financial assets, mm. um, is crowding out the, the everyday economy of people who just want a place to live. Yeah. So you don't need to have a kind of big state intervention that bashes people around the head. You just create a separate parallel market that says, no, this land can only be used within this separate land uh, a kind of approach, which is where the, they get sold as plots to individuals or groups to develop their own home at any density, by the way. It's not just low density. Um, and that would be really powerful as well because it would give local authorities um, and local citizens the power to say, yeah, we want that kind of development, but not that kind of development. Mm. Whereas at the moment you have this NIMBY problem where you just say, no, development's going to be terrible, so no. But actually it gives people the power to say, and actually that would be putting teeth behind ideas about like localism. And that's, is that like, it, so as an example, mm. say say you want to build one of these houses and you know you live in a, in a rural area, but there's a, there's a plot of land, for example, yeah. that could fit 20 houses yeah. on there. Instead of because a developer is one of the very few people that can get the cash together yes. to make that financially viable, right? Yeah. So, you're well, saying- so, sort of. I mean, it's partly it is it's very much a capital problem. Yeah. Um, it is also a question of inflation because, of course, when the speculative capital coming into the system, it increases the prices out. Of, you know, so only speculators can now afford it. Mm. But still, yeah, no, fundamentally, it's it's capital. So, and in the, in that example, everyone joins together, and what they all. This is I, I was generally trying to think. No, of an example. I mean, not, no, not necessarily. No, no. It's in 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 that case, it's just saying we create a plot of land where in the planning system, where the planning you are not allowed to buy it if you are a speculative developer. Oh, I see. Sorry, right? I see. So, so, so you essentially end up two markets. So if you currently take a piece of land that's got an agricultural land usage in mm. the planning system, it will be worth say I don't know two to five thousand pounds per hectare. The moment we the people say oh we we approve this for housing development it leaps to something like two three million pounds per hectare mm. right um so we create that value by by changing the same piece of land but it's moved from one land market into another land market so what i'm proposing is we could create another land market um that just allows that all all these things to just coexist but allow one to kind of outperform to say just say look if people start flocking towards that kind of market the local planners will say no that's the land we need more of whereas the developers over there they're still sitting on that piece of land so they don't need more land um and so it it, it gets rid of this market versus state thing saying well no there's lots of different markets and are there examples of of people that is this a new thing that you're proposing either well, no th- this piece of legislation is but everything else you know is already tried and proven you know the dutch have absolutely demonstrated the power of uh what you could call a kind of micro plan as opposed to a master plan where within places like almira you know they they divided the site up into many plots and sold them off to custom builders and of course lo and behold what you get is a really quickly developed uh quite really sustainable beautiful house you know neighborhood full of quite characterful homes etc etc and i guess the advantage of that is when all your capital is invested in the bricks and mortar it's just a plot of land then when you leave well that house gets taken down it can do which is how the japanese work so people it's people you know if you're an architect if you ever wondered why it is that all the beautiful houses uh, on the cover of architecture magazines are from japan well, there's a really good reason for that. It's because in the suburbs of Japan, this is how housing is procured. It's very much independently from the land. So those houses are procured by the people who are going to live there. And so because there is a culture that you just, yeah, the land, you buy a plot of land and you might change the house every n number of years or whatever. Mm. Um, of course, what you end up with is beautiful design. Yeah. <laughs> um, is the worry? I guess the worry is that 
I guess you're some people would be thinking, well, I don't want to live there because they might build like a pink monstrosity next mm. to my house. And you're like, sure, but actually... Well, not sure, no. I mean, because <laughs> people think it's one or the other. Oh, there's no... Well, no, there's still a planning system, right? So, and actually people think that people want to be very idiosyncratic. If you actually look at the custom build industry, people don't want to be idiosyncratic, right? We all love actually ask architects, most architects where they live in the soil, I live in a Georgian house and yeah. they all look the same, right? Yeah. So... um Actually, uh, you can set really tight rules. But even if you, if I said to you, look, there's a thing over there you can buy that's a one-size-fits-all box and you can buy it for half a million pounds. Or over there, there's a plot of land and there's a set of rules setting the exact materials and the shape of the outside house that you must make. Mm. But by the way, you can buy that plot of land for you know £150,000 and then build your own house at your leisure. Which would you go for? Yeah. Um, so that you can set really tight rules that's not a problem okay well I'm sold on WikiHouse I'm <laughs> sold on the idea how do people make any money from it then so we're flipping back let's not confuse these conversations okay, here, okay, right? yeah, we're, sorry, we're yeah, talking yeah. about the, I'm really talking the about shift you, yeah. <laughs> in housing production to the idea that actually direct procurement of housing by the end users yeah. which of course WikiHouse is one example of but there's loads out there you know, of, of, and there will be hopefully many, many more companies mm. and many more inventors and designers will come up with wonderful, brilliant ways to help people do that. Um, the, the particularity of, of WikiHouse, of course, is that it leverages open source operations. And so there's a kind of myth that um, if you open source things, you can't make any money. Well, it's certainly not the case in the I guess s- that, software I industry. I guess that stems a bit from a, a Spotify being a perfect case in mm. point, just that whole... That whole almost freemium model. Yeah. That open source is not freemium. It's a very, very different thing. So it's open source is, is saying there's a basic myth that um, architects sell their knowledge. They don't. They sell their time. They sell their capacity to solve problems. And so you think, oh, I'm giving away all the thing. People won't hire an architect. Well, it's not how it works. Actually, the more information you give away, the more people can now afford to come knocking on the door and say, actually, I want you to hire you. But instead of hiring you, you know, for uh, six months, which I couldn't afford to do before, I can now afford to hire you for two weeks. And now it's just you work for lots of clients, right? So that's one way you're actually selling to an expanded marketplace. At the moment, architecture only sells its services to a very, very narrow group of very rich people well we don't yet solve our, sell our services to the middle classes and we could so that's one argument for that is the mm. expanded market argument it's also straightforward economic efficiency so we are sitting there in these offices resolving the same problems again and again and we know that architecture's problem right now is that you have unpaid interns sitting there drawing 2d draw detail drawings down the road in another architecture office there's another unpaid intern doing the same detail drawing and it's by the way that detail drawing has been done hundreds of times before <laughs> better but you know you tell me an architect who lies on their deathbed going damn I wish I'd spent more of my life redrawing the details and worrying about whether they were going to work or not what you actually want is to have a common library a common language where you can just go to draw on it you know that it's instantly it's the latest best possible version of that technology because it's being developed by an R&D team of thousands of your peers um, you can solve the problem in half an hour and move on to the next project or spend more time working with the client uh, thinking about the, you know, their problems, like do they need an extra room for the dog or whatever, you know, whatever it might be, mm. um, on the stuff that designers are actually good at. Um, and by the way, you can charge the same fee, mm. right? 
so which would you rather have? Like at the moment, architecture is this is is this incredibly narrow marketplace. You know, as as uh, um, Daniel Dendrus put it rather brilliantly, you know, arch- only about two percent of the buildings in the world have anything to do with architects. Right, that's a terrible market share. Quite aside from the ethical and moral implications of what that actually means it means that architecture is this really narrow kind of thing it's like well no if we want to be more useful to more people in society we need to be much more efficient in the way that we work and so to open source stuff is is not that it's not a hamper on your ability to make money it's a huge shared on platform because it means you're no longer having to rewrite the wheel every time um you know, you, you do anything. And this, uh, you know, I love to quote the, the Linus Torvalds thing about be lazy like a fox. Don't reinvent <laughs> the wheel every single time. And that's the craziness about what we're doing in architecture right now. We're, if, you, if you explain the architectural process to somebody who works in, say, industrial design or product design, they'll say, hold on a minute, you're, proto- you're doing every single project as a prototype. Because you're, you see what I mean? You're de- developing well, everything for the first time. Yeah. It's like, well, that's a terrible way to get things done. Yeah. So um, there are some basic underlying economics to the way that we work. And open source is not a threat to them. It's actually the solution. Um, and I it's, guess it's a difficult problem. It's a difficult loop to get out of because a client will want to see something unique, I guess, mm. or something, mm. especially because the market is so, not, not, not saturated, yeah, but, but so competitive yeah. that they want... If if I'm a client spending X millions amount of pounds, yeah. I want something spectacular. But that's just because if we were to go, no, no, we've done this before. There you go. It. I'm not, I'm not saying in any way I disagree. I'm just I'm. I guess I'm just playing devil's advocate in my head because well, I. Well, it do, depends uh, what client you want and what yeah. they're selling, right? But you, even when you're doing a project, when you do a project, you're not redoing everything. You're not reinventing the bolt and the screw. Right, you're you're, you're using those that they already exist, right? So you're you're building on bits that already exist, and it's just you're doing a new thing with that language. Language is built on top of other languages, built on top of a language. So it's just you choosing, or how much of the language does your client want you to completely reinvent this time round? And actually, if there's a model where, and this, you know, I'm not saying Wikihouse is the solution to all things. It's just one particular approach to how we could make houses in a fundamentally different, more bottom-up way. Um, is it just a way to say, look, there's this common building language which allows you to design using this language and all the details, everything are already done, they're already perfect. The costings come out automatically mm-hmm. and, because yeah. the, and the information is all up to date because we collectively decide to share it. There is no value in us all sitting here collectively um, sort of siloing our little bits of knowledge saying well I, I've got one tenth of the solution and the other person well I've got one tenth it's like well no hold on if we all shared them we would all have all the solution all the time and that's another way of thinking about um, uh, the kind of op- what open source really means which in a way is going I'm going to contradict myself here it's, it's a way of moving to a design economy where no problem ever needs to be solved twice now, that's really interesting because it means that if you are a designer who, frankly, is being a little bit lazy and you're, you make your money by just reselling the same mm. uh, kind of solution again and again and again, well, it is going to become harder for you 
to do that you know you'll be able to do that for a while but actually it's going to become cheaper and cheaper and cheaper for someone else to do that well that's going to happen anyway WikiHouse isn't going to do that to you automation is coming right so that it's going to happen anyway so the question we need to ask ourselves is how does these how do these technologies come that have um, the most prosperity for the most of us like the smartest best way for us to collaborate and do all this together it it just seems self-evident that why would you I was um I will. I'm agreeing. By the way, that uh, <laughs> that I was I was having this chat with my mum on the weekend that I was going to sit down with you and I was explaining mm-hmm. WikiHouse and uh, she was uh, this is obviously pre my time but she was saying that a very similar mindset was when the Apple Mac very first came out and it had um, different type fonts mm. and at the time you know if you if you did type fonts and books and everything this this was a real panic for the whole industry they thought no no one's going to need us anymore and then it's like well no this is just a tool and actually it and it was it's very similar again i was um i was just thinking of all the different industries where this has constantly been a problem yeah but it's not you just come up with more creative ideas but there's I, i think there's an element of fear that comes along with embracing the fact that all the all the creative like knowledge that you've that that's that's mm. your that's your currency isn't it that's this your that's i think think of it the other way around which is as you say it's just think about the tools that you have to be creative with right yeah as i said no architect lies on their deathbed saying oh i wish i'd spent more time at the drudgery bit yeah right but you not think you can understand Doing door schedules Oh, door schedule. Right. Yeah, if they could be an automated door schedule, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> no, no one, no one does that. Whereas the someone saying, well, "Hold on a minute, I've got these amazing tools, and they're, they're just smarter tools. They're just just the cleverest tool." And so, you know, Wikipedia didn't have to uh, argue against Britannica or Encarta, right? <laughs> uh, it just outperformed it. And people say, "Oh, yeah, but you put you put Britannica and Encarta out of business." It was sure, but Wikipedia might have put two companies two enterprises out of business but they've put millions of enterprises into business yeah because that knowledge wants to be shared right and there are some things that want to be shared but so the wiki house when you drill it down people say oh it's plywood no it's not plywood it's it's this idea of a shared common building language that can be digitally manufactured at very low cost to very high performance but behind that even Actually, it's a set of principles, and I think there are 13 now. You can go to the website and you can see mm. them, and each one's got a little picture. Um, and, um, yeah, so it, when one of those principles is um, that knowledge should be free, but people's time should always be paid for, mm. right? And that is a really good, solid principle, and that is actually an economy where when you get down to it, most designers say, yeah, that's an economy in which I want to work in, Yeah, where people aren't trying to hoard their ideas and oh, it's just silly, right? Um, and also, by the way, um, architects of all, all the architecture of all the industries has the least to fear in this regard because we never really controlled our IP anyway. Like, look at Detail Magazine, right? We've already been sharing it badly for a long time. It is not, that is not what we sell. Mm. Um, there's amazingly few IP cases in, in architecture because architecture is the industry of copying. And before architecture, of course, <laughs> yeah, right? So true, yeah. I mean, classical architecture, what is that? Oh, it's a series of, it's a bunch of rich kids going over to Italy uh, doing the grand tour and copying, right? Architecture is all about copying. You go into any architecture school and you'll see students there with 
copies of the AR or whatever open and they're copying, like aesthetically, very sophisticated way. They're copying, resynthesizing, remixing. That's what they do. That's what, yeah. you know, but for a particular use or for a particular question or a particular purpose. Um, and so the irony of architecture is that we have this myth of originality and it's actually, it's not what we're good at. And actually even beyond architecture, you know, the, the 2% of the buildings and look at the other 98% of the buildings throughout most of history, vernacular, I would say vernacular and open source are the same thing. The idea, you know, I think, look at the sash window, right? We all love the sash window. And if you look at the sash window as a design, it's a brilliant piece of design. It's evolved. It does, um, it kills a hundred birds with one stone, right? It issues ventilation, light, maintenance, material economy, you know, all kinds of things. And it's evolved slowly. No one person invented the sash window. It was many, many people mm. contributed to it. And yet we all benefit from it. Now, there's still plenty of people still now in London making money by manufacturing and selling sash windows. Mm. And they're still earning a perfectly good living. Yeah. Um, so our kind of... Um, our you know that so vernacular actually in some ways i think what we're going this it's been described that the third industrial revolution is in some ways a kind of leapfrogging we we should be able to look back at this sort of rather centralized dumb one-size-fits-all area of industrial modernity if you like mm. as a kind of slightly awkward adolescent phase and actually we're getting you can see that with WikiHouse, the idea of the barn raising you can see that we're actually going back to those vernacular models mm. the output of which everybody loves you know if everyone goes skiing they stay in the chalets right it's vernacular architecture yeah. go to a beef that oh they stay in the back vernacular architecture right um but we're going back to them with the ingenuity and the creativity and the technology and the tools with iPhones in our hands yeah. right? and that's really really amazing that's a really interesting time to be alive right? yeah so we went to we went to Austria a couple of weeks ago and stayed in this absolutely gorgeous valley and every single house and building was identical and mm. that was just because the locally produced wood was pine so everything was made out of pine but mm. it, that vernacular was locally sourced material and bricks are locally sourced materials so mm. it's kind of and I like the idea that um, rapid prototype stuff we can fight it all we want but mm. it will get so cheap so quickly mm -hmm. like yeah. I mean it's as, what as Jeremy Rifkin calls the zero margin uh, that, society so the zero marginal cost society yeah because on the ramp on the way down you saw we've got like six or eight rapid prototype machines yeah. Ken wants to bump that up to a hundred apparently yeah, but that 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 kind of relentless ability to just create whatever you want whenever you yep. want it means that why would i pay 50 quid for something beautifully manufactured out of timber when i can pay two pounds and have it done that night I, so it comes yeah, down to except like for loving the fact that material that, i guess but. exactly and this is the weird thing is that when you um you know you look at it it's a weird hybrid of craft and anti-craft so and that's the weird thing because in some ways the the CNC machine seems like to kill the notion of craft, but on another level, suddenly you're back to the idea of the local tr person in their workshop coming up with really beautiful things that mm. they spend thousands of hours of love and attention going into them. So um, it's like, well, what is this? It's, it's, it's not as straightforward. And actually, there's some really literal examples of that. If you look into the grammar of the WikiHouse system right now, um, there are joints stolen from 14th century Japanese wood. Okay, you know, and, we, and I, I always joke, we haven't yet heard from their lawyers. <laughs> yet <laughs> yet <laughs> um yeah and so and that's so that so that's the first thing of course you know there's room for everything and actually architecture has always been frankly for the for the last 100 or 200 years ago since you know it really existed as a profession um it's been pretty ambivalent about 
all the other buildings. You know, mm. Pevsner very snobbishly said, you know, the Lincoln Cathedral's architecture in a bike shed is just a building. Well, it turns out bike shed's actually really fascinating and beautiful and turns out pretty important if you're interested in stuff like climate change, etc. Um, and so that's one element of it. But I think it's not just us kind of going, oh, this is kind of fun. And it's also saying, no, there is um, a market and a, a an economic shift in, in here in the way that designers work and the way that we contribute uh, to society and earn a living by doing so. So the next phase of WikiHouse is that really it's been built by this amazing community of passionate, brilliant inventors, designers, architects. I, you know, I mean, I can go on about who they are for hours, but there's a huge mix of people. And they've just, but they've, they're really, at the, the current stage, they're the passionate sort of, uh, sort of inventors or tinkerers or prototypers and I think it's now the the first WikiHouse technology is obviously the chassis mm. you know technology that you can see the bit made out plywood there are other WikiHouse technologies beginning to come through now like windows like heat recovery ventilators all kinds of interesting things um, but that's now at a point now where it's 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 commercially usable and so the next challenge of the project is to build around the project uh, an open marketplace of architects and manufacturers and contractors mm. um, and engineers and lenders and maybe insurers and all those other professional roles um, making a living using the system and that's our kind of the next I think the next chapter of um, WikiHouse's journey which is why we've we set up just under a year or so ago we set up WikiHouse Foundation as a non-profit foundation which gives us the power gives us a platform um, to work with many companies in order to try and do that you well, know it's, so, it's so everything that we develop everything that WikiHouse's community produces belongs to you it belongs to all of us because this brings me uh, nicely around to what I I'll kind of will kind of finish on uh, like your work at Zero Zero and things but I, as an example, if I've um, I've tinkered for a week and I've made this fantastic thing that I'm really, really proud of and it's a week of my time, mm -hmm. then essentially you're saying, well, then you put it on and it's free for everyone to download. And it's and I guess how let's use you as an example, then how how, how do you monetize or, or survive so, and have? Well, I mean, in the, the straightforward sense, uh, the same way you always do, which is. So take the example of the house that's about to get built. Architecture, that was a commission with Architecture 00. The client approached Architecture 00, uh, 00 make us a house, same thing, architecture, design fee, et cetera, et cetera. Now all the files will then be out for free, but Architecture 00 still make their fee. Mm. And of course, what happens is the door, the, suddenly the phone starts ringing and a hundred other people say, hey, I want, I want a house, but I don't want the exact same house. Because if you want the exact same house, you can have that for free. That's fine, go and knock yourself out. But they say, well, no, I don't want the exact same house. I want a slight design change for my needs. Or the other person says, well, I want the exact same house. But by the way, I want another manufacturer. So another manufacturer earns their living. So it's a total myth that someone's losing out. Everyone's still making the same money in the same way they normally were. Because um, that's not what architecture was selling, right? But do you not have clients who um, who say, well, hang on, you're giving me a a replica house? Yeah. I, I, not that every other Georgian no. house isn't a replica <laughs> anyway, but... Oh, you've kind of made me just think in my own head that I'm, I'm literally just... No, no, just, think aloud. I'm I, enjoying I think this. aloud. Yeah. Um, I was just about to go, yeah, but why couldn't I have a Georgian house and I can have this? But you're like, well, the Georgian house will cost you a lot more because it's made out of well, you uh, can. more expensive materials, yeah, you, right? But I'm, I'm dying for someone to make a kind of faux Georgian house using the WikiHouse system, actually. 
<laughs> there's the challenge i think it'll happen i mean it, it would be it would be a bit silly of course because um you know this that idea of vernacular whatever is it's not just something to use lightly architects love to wax lyrical about that kind of thing but if you think really hard about what that is it's about the idea that the you know the beauty of something etc it all comes from the hyper pragmatism mm. behind it um and so of course things begin to develop their own you know, so, so, so you work at zero zero, but you also yeah. Work, so you, so you run WikiHouse. Yeah. So zero zero is uh, a lot of people as of understandably don't understand zero zero. I joined zero zero. It's a sort of collaborative yeah, I, yeah, studio of many many disciplines. So we're not just architects. We've okay. got researchers, you know, sociologists, all kinds of people. Oh, really? Um, so, but it's essentially it it's. Zero Zero is best understood as a kind of ecosystem of companies. So there's architecture Zero Zero is just one of the companies in Zero Zero, uh, which is obviously they produce architecture, mm -hmm. an architecture firm. But there's also lots of other companies, and that includes Wikias Foundation, it includes OpenDesk, it includes uh, DoLabs, um, Civic Systems Lab. So there's a, there's a, there's, wow. the, there's a bunch of other companies all in this ecosystem um, together. And again, that I mean that's a whole other conversation for yeah. another day um, that uh, I'm sure uh, you could speak to Indy about and he'd be much more eloquent than I would about it. But about the changing way that we work, you know, we're moving from this thing where you had to be a big super company to get anything done to saying, no, actually you can exist in ecosystems where you have a basic rule and actually you have a basic platform that says, no, go and create value mm. um, within this platform. Um, rather than being completely stuck out there on your own as an entrepreneur. So and it, it means that as members of Zero Zero, we have the power to go out, come up with new innovations sp and, and spin out the, the, the enterprises and the companies that come with them. And I think that's important because if we're serious about words like industrial revolution, etc., mm. these are not just technological questions. They come with different business models these new technological models come with different supply chains and the different mm. supply chains come with different business models and the different business models come with different governance models. And we've seen that from the web, right? The web has profoundly changed some of the concepts behind notions of ownership and even things like money now, mm. things like Bitcoin. So, and, and that's obviously something that as strategic designers, we take really, really seriously. So we are, when we are working on and contributing to a project like WikiHouse, um, we're not just thinking about it as a hardware question. We are also thinking about the economics behind it, how people earn a living, the business models, mm. you know, what should and shouldn't be owned by whom, et cetera, et cetera. So if, if client comes to you, you, you form the design, mm. again, I'm just thinking out loud here, and then they go, well, I want a balcony and I want an extra and a yeah. garage, but a garage coming off the side, and then you tweak and develop the wiki house design to include those you elements do. Yeah. i do yes yeah. yeah. so but at zero zero say this is let's, or, or let's say it's make let's okay. say make set up a wiki house team tomorrow which would be great interesting there's a few big architects actually uh, who are beginning to get really interested in whether this that way of working could s sustain a, you know lucrative sub business within them it's got the kind of micro fee well okay let's uh, let's work. definitely yeah. reverse so let's totally on me so let's here. reverse this the other way so, around and then say. i've i have developed yeah. this uh, extending garage and a balcony yeah. and, and a dormer window and yeah. everything then do i then put that straight back out into the system for everyone to use and go look make have done this fantastic mm -hmm. extension this is parametric garage option yeah. Dunk, yeah. and it yeah. comes out then 
that to me kind of I'm not so saying that's, it's wrong I'd be like no no so that's our, so that, well, no no so that's our, that's actually our, you've literally described our vision so what we're trying to build is not just the kind of the Wikipedia library if you like where those files will be shared for other people to immediately start riffing on building on mm. but actually and they'll be badged by the way with your authorship etc um, but actually to create uh, we're trying to build is a kind of app store for for the the, the construction world if you like for the micro construction world so a nicely digestible idea is right it? so this right. idea that you can actually go out and we'll create a common marketplace we and we call it we're calling it the WikiHouse catalog um, but there'll be a catalog there of products and services and providers and so actually you will then list your what, what was it a balcony on a garage or whatever garage whatever you yeah, yeah that, copyright. that innovation <laughs> that you've come so you will then develop that and you will then list it in the catalog so you will then be in the WikiHouse catalog as a certified provider and again that's a key thing it's like anyone can take the ip and use it but the trademark of WikiHouse is controlled so for example you uh if you want to be able to do it as a WikiHouse thing when you say well we are a WikiHouse provider then you could then you and and so actually that's what people want so do you curate what's on the WikiHouse catalog then as in who, who yeah it will be it will be created and I mean and we're we're still in the early days I think as we move from being um just a community of people developing things people saying no actually there's a there's quite a few groups and companies within the WikiHouse community saying no we want to earn a living by mm. becoming a, a WikiHouse provider we are together with them going to work out what that looks like and what that means but certainly there will be an element of um curation um in terms of ev all the all the design files will be there but actually not all of them will be there in sort of integrated into a system that will be kind of curated by uh, you know a group of people and again in future that might be something that can be opened up as well so um uh yeah that i mean again we're, we're kind of we're seeing where that leads and mm. i think again rather than that's not going to to be a kind of closed thing actually the principles upon which we're doing that are hopefully really really clear because um it's really important that on one level WikiHouse is is trying to be as ag aesthetically agnostic as possible but actually there's a certain level of of quality and performance and and making sure that those 13 principles are really embedded into absolutely every aspect of the, of each design mm. um so is the idea that if someone uses a WikiHouse design there's a there's an in inherent level of quality yes and, and if you build it as per that drawing yeah. it's you don't take responsibility well, and th you, this you, is it there's different layers so you can go there and so let's take the example of a window in the future let's say there's a WikiHouse window in there that can be it's a it's a very high performance window the files are all there so if you want to you can go in there you can get those files absolutely for free you can go and put it in you've got to do all the work of manufacturing it yourself installing it yourself and you don't know whether it's going to work the other option is you say well actually i want a company who's going to manufacture it for me um but they, they're not providing any certification or warranties with it, but they're just going to manufacture it for me. I'm going to assemble the kit. Another version is where you get a complete assembled service, and by the way, they will stamp that. Mm. And they'll have three different price points, and it's up to you. You can have whichever you want. You want, But it doesn't cost you as a designer anything when people just take the files and do it for themselves. It's like, fine, it doesn't cost you anything because those people weren't going to hire you anyway. So, um, it, yeah, it, it doesn't, it's, it, it's kind of, that's actually the kind of future that we're looking at. And it, it, it will be shifting goalposts because more and more people will go, well, hold on, do I need to certify my window? Because I can just put it in a sensor and I know whether it's working or not. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess with the internet of things coming up as well, the, uh, the idea of real time feedback. Exactly. And, and then, of course, huge. the idea of everyone sees WikiHouse now as, the, you know, the, the digitally manufactured chassis technology but again there's been some really really interesting experiments we do with some guys at Arabs um, and uh, Sarah at the Wikias Foundation is, is sort of 
sort of hosting and creating some of these really interesting innovations around plug and play smart homes um, and how those technologies also become open and interoperable um, and plug and play within within the home as well. I guess the advantage that you've got as the way I see it is that uh, in on a worldwide platform mm. I was just in my head I was just thinking well if it stagnates and someone goes well I sh- why should I everyone's waiting why should I go that extra mm. step and design something new and original mm. and put it on there when in actual fact everyone will just steal that and I so no one well, will come to me I and mean, hopefully the marketplace the catalogue thing would flip that a little bit yeah. because you say no actually hold on that's a great way to then I've put my thing out there now people will come to buy it yeah. to me to buy it off me um, but I was thinking I was just thinking on a worldwide platform but though. also you can kind of relax because we're not going to run out of design problems anytime soon, <laughs> right? If we've, if as a society we've run out of design problems, we can all go to the pub anyway. So, and we don't need to earn salaries. So, <laughs> I was, th- I'm, I think it's more that I'm, I love the idea so much. I'm literally just trying to pick, pick holes in it, and I can't. Everything you said is completely true. I genuinely <laughs> okay, think yeah, that in, in the right. Let's stay here another hour. Yeah. <laughs> we'll <find them. laughs> but so we've crashed straight past the hour mark because I knew that I knew I'd really enjoy doing this, but um. I will I will wrap things up now. But um what's uh you said the app. So what what's what's kind of next for for WikiHouse then? I mean, how much of your time at zero, 00 is kind of dedicated to design and architecture mm. and not that WikiHouse isn't, but I guess you must do a lot of this. You must publicize and talk and you know kind of advertise WikiHouse, you know, cuz we I, we've never advertised it. But you know what I mean as in um, we, we, I, so I'll, yeah we'll do these sort of conversations and stuff but um, no we've never had to do that right we don't need, think we should just do something good and it's the right thing and people mm. believe in it then you know pe- people are not people to be hammered at and sold to they're a resource you know they're, they're a resource to be in your team in your community um, so uh, in terms of my time um, yeah no I'm still I mean, a lot of people in the foundation are still part-time, that, you know, and that's quite nice in some ways because kind of they flip out. So mm. part of the time we'll be working in an architecture firm or whatever firm or, you know, a, a startup developing the, the kind of products which are then open source, but then they're also helping build this common foundation in the centre. Um, I think we've we're definitely the next stage is as the project has reached a stage of maturity, we know we need to go out and build a digital platform. And that's a really... Um, and and to build this this supply chain this marketplace you know and we'd like to get to a point where we have you know a good number of ha- of of wikihouse providers mm. in the UK and beyond in you know in a year or so um and and that's a really interesting journey that we're on really just kind of working out what that looks like none of us signed up to be uh kind of we're not natural business people mm. or anything like that so we're kind of working that out and i think w- one of the big questions that is quite radical is i've lost count of how many times we've had um venture capitalists or whatever come up to me or one of us and say um oh you know uh, this is great i want to invest and we so we can't we've we've put it under the ownership of this of this this foundation which whose job it is is just to be the custodian so it belongs to everyone forever um, but we also want to build digital infrastructure. So we're totally dependent on um, first donations from kind of supporters and contributions. And most of okay. it's built by contributions in the community. Um, but on the long run, we're like, no, that's that's not that doesn't work. So on the long run, we say, well, we can build in a revenue model around a marketplace model. So it'll be just like any other digital marketplace. The difference will be that it'll be a non-profit at its core. Mm. Um, but the... 
uh, the more interesting is how do you raise capital? And that, and there's this real yeah. mindset right now, which is oh, you, you know, the Silicon Valley model, which is you raise capital and then it's owned, but you know, by a kind of one company in in California. And we're like, well, we'd like to, you know, the whole premise we'd like to raise capital without doing that. So what we're now doing is we're going and we're we're speaking to a range of companies. Uh, and organizations and institutions, public and private and everything in between, mm. and saying, look, collectively, and either directly or indirectly, you have a really strong value incentive for this to exist. Now, you don't need to own it to see value in it. And there's lots of companies. An obvious example would be a company that sells plywood right now, obviously, yeah. right? They're going to sell more plywood if this exists. <laughs> so, but that was, but actually, we don't have one of those as our partners at the moment. But actually, we do have uh, other ones, who, you know, companies who we're talking to and other partners coming on board who are interested in the, either the value of good housing or the scale of this mm. distributed market. You know, if I say, well, where is the next, you know, billion pounds going to come from in your kind of future market it's going to come going to come from the micro construction industry the citizen sector which by the way builds most houses throughout most of the world always Mm. so what we're trying to do um, with some success i think um, is get a, a circle of partner companies on board to say no look if all of us put in a chunk of money each we can build this digital platform together um, and that's that's kind of where, to be brutally honest, that's that's exactly what what we're doing right now, and saying, look, we want people to invest in this, but we want to invest in it based on the reason why it works in the first place, mm. which is because it's open, um, and then also to be based not on the basis that they you don't need to own it, you don't need to monopolize this, invest on the basis of value, so um, you know because. Um, making it cheaper and easier to make sustainable affordable housing if you're a housing association is going to make your life a hundred times earlier easier so invest on the basis of that you know if you're an insurance company it's going to reduce your payouts in the future so invest on the basis of that if you're a, a company that sells materials and tools directly to citizens well obviously the the citizen yeah. sector is going to be really good for you for that so um wanting to talk to those kind of companies and say look together we get around the thing and say we we have a really strong incentive in um an economy and actually by the way architecture is one of those because at the moment architecture is uh we're massively underperforming you know we can run to china and try and make some money from off the old model playing out there and then it will crash Right, but actually, there's a there's a huge opportunity for us to kind of drag ourselves into the 21st century, and start selling our design services, etc., in a different way. Um, I guess it's, it must be so exciting just to feel that momentum building. It is, and I think I mean one of the there's a I think I think it was probably Linus Torvalds who said a thing about if you if you are um, the founders of a, an open source project, your essential job description, your purpose is to make yourself unemployed as quickly as possible, to make yourself <laughs> unnecessary. Mm. Um, and then you go and do something else. Um, and I, you know, uh, so many people have put so much work into building this and the, every step it goes, he's sure it's been slow. It's been slower than it would have been if we'd had, you know, a million pounds and, and et cetera, et cetera, overnight. But um, I... Even though it goes slowly, I just feel this amazing sense of optimism because you just go, history's coming in our direction. Yeah. Uh, and more and more people want to already want to work in this way. And 
the closer we get, just you get this really joyful sense of inevitability that this will happen in one form or another. And it might not be called WikiHouse, you know, down the line, someone else might do it better and that's fine. Um, but actually this fundamental approach, this different way of working, it will exist in, in, in the future in some form because um, it works and it has to. I guess as well, you're such an exciting point because it's such... A I guess you're still in such an infancy of, the, of where you're planning to go. Yeah, uh, which is weird because, of course, we've been going three years, right, from the first initial experiments. Wow, I bet that's gone quickly, hasn't it? Three years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. But so, I, I think that... But it is still infancy, yeah. To, to have your name attached to a, a piece of the WikiHouse design, say you designed mm. one part of it, mm. or, or my Which I could do, by the way, right now, because it's still small enough that I could list off a list of 10 people around the world who have contributed yeah. a really and, significant And then part. imagine, because every architect, I guess why we want to design airports and skyscrapers, mm. you want the maximum amount of people to see what you've done, right? That mm. I guess that's the dream, <laughs> isn't it? But imagine seeing the like a, a city yeah. of Wiki, like a, a town of WikiHouses and knowing that that, that little detail there, that. That, that was me. Yeah. That would be amazing, or, I guess. Or, kind of... Yeah, that part of... Yeah, exactly. And uh, I guess there's kind of... Like, you've you've already designed it in such a way that you can kind of... You can build it without scaffolding, kind of build it as yeah. you go up it, right? So yeah. there's kind of all these really interesting leaps that make you just think, well, how many stories, how Yeah, and, and, and the beauty is, of course, is that then someone else comes along and improves the next one. And as I said, it never needs to, it never needs to be solved again. Yeah. And actually, that's one of the reassuring things. So when you're sitting there... In it's you know late at night and uh, and you're doing the most mundane little design detail and I think when you're working on wiki houses actually because we at some point somebody is going all the way down to you're thinking almost more like an industrial designer because you know everything about the screw you know mm-hmm. everything about the, the you know everything really um, and up to a point so then somebody needs to know nothing right um, but the power is you're there and it's late at night and or whatever you're working on a thing and you're solving the most mundane problem imaginable but the reassuring thing that you say is this is great because no one ever <laughs> is going to have to do this again and so suddenly you flip from this world where from the too damn difficult world where people say oh it's not scalable it's, if you want to do things efficiently it's got to be massive big and top down and that's the only thing that will ever succeed suddenly you flip that and that suddenly that way of working suddenly looks incredibly clunky, actually, because um, you realise that in a, this this kind of emergent bottom up thing, only one person has to do something once, and it's done forever for everyone. And it's a really optimistic way of working because you go, actually, yeah, no, that will work on the long run eventually. Yeah, and also I mean, you must you will get to a point, I guess, however long it that's someone's waiting for that thing to be solved and then that next step is solved mm. and then suddenly there's a massive well, like, leapfrog I'm still waiting uh, you know <laughs> I'm waiting for the, the, the I mean seriously I mean there's people doing really mind blowing stuff um, in, in the, kind of around WikiHouse right now and I'm just like I've seen it like I know it's coming and and uh, you know I'm like I'm just waiting <laughs> <laughs> so wh- where can people find out if if they want to get well, what are you working on? What's the next thing? Yeah, like, so wh- the, where do I find the files? Like where do I yeah, find? Yeah, so all go to wikihouse.cc. It's still a very basic website. Uh, please, obviously, donate uh, to support us. If you'd like to partner with us, do partner. Uh, uh, you know, get in contact with us. You can always follow WikiHouse on Twitter, which is just at WikiHouse. And Harry is our community host, and he's just an amazing guy, and he just talks to everybody and connects everybody to everybody else. Um, so. Uh, 
you can do that. And in terms of actually getting started, if you're a designer, um, if you uh, the Commons at the moment is actually just a massive Google Drive folder, and through the website you can go on and you can join the Commons, um, and it, that's a big repo. And there's a folder in there called the Get Started folder. Um, and it has the basic information that you need, the basic files and the basic guides that will get you into starting to work with. And, and before you know it, you'll be modeling and go, oh, no, I can see how that could be better. I can improve that. And then you'll start a project file and before you know it, you'll be away. And, and so, you send that back to you and then say... Oh, no, well, it's all shared in the drive so everybody get, can see what everyone else is doing. It's all a big mess, right? So there's loads of folders and the projects are at different stages and that's why we want to build a more sophisticated digital yeah. platform to help deal with that. But actually, there's some basic core resources there ready Ready for you to go to get started and we've also created a structure where um you know we've the first thing we did was we we opened up chapters so anyone can start up a wikihouse chapter so as a chapter is not a commercial trading entity it's an open meetup group but anywhere in the world and i think there's now 22 chapters around the world there's and the first one and still one of the most exciting and most advanced is wikihouse new zealand in christchurch um but yeah they're all over the place now the recent one started in india which is a real challenge wow. because the current technology the principles work in india but the technology doesn't so um that's going to be a long play but um so open that up uh, and and so you can you can do that you can apply to start a chapter if you want to uh, you can start wikihouse high wickham if you want to it doesn't you know it doesn't matter um and um i think yeah then the next stage will be uh those designers who who started playing with it and they've made some prototypes with it um and um uh, we had Miller Howard workshop um, started did one a couple of weeks ago, and they said, "Oh, why you've just fallen in love with the system?" And I think uh, that a lot of architects and designers and supply manufacturers begin to go through that circle and going, "Okay, now we've done one." we're interested in starting to use this commercially, and at that point, also we want to hear from you because. Um, you know, we'd love to work with uh, the first few companies who are really going to start saying, no, let's let's build this way of, of working. I'm smiling because I'm literally just thinking, right, the first thing I want to find out, is there a wiki shed? And then I was thinking, well, maybe I can just <laughs> There's scale. a studio. Is there? There's a little garden oh, studio, okay. which is one unit. We d it needs upgrading to the latest version 4.2 of the, the language. But um, it was really funny, actually, because it was first developed by Architecture 00, shared onto the thing and we just put it as a placeholder on the catalogue really because we were just sort of building that approach and so it was useful to have that and just put it there um, what was weird is that one didn't get built by Architecture 00 first the first one to be built was actually built by the WikiHouse Vienna chapter um, <laughs> uh, earlier this summer um, which is quite funny this kind of world where you can produce a design and then someone else will actually test it first and then send you back the, all the details and say and you're like, oh, oh, this doesn't work and thanks, we have guys. we have quite a lot of moments like that where um, you know Thursday night your engineer will call up and say we've discovered a problem with this joint we don't know how it performs uh, and, and Friday morning you'll come up with a different variant that says well how about this and this is well yeah but you've got to test it so you send the files up uh chop shop is uh, one of the manufacturers up in sheffield they'll cut a little test piece on friday afternoon and then by friday evening you've got your answer and actually it just went over hundreds of miles and the three different teams at once and then you think oh that's so cool i just those are the little moments i yeah. just think that's cool that's wicked isn't it yeah. and then so I, I i'll wrap this up and say thank you but i'm thinking that would make an amazing puzzle I'm thinking, like, you know, like a Meccano set. I'm just, I'm just thinking. My dad loves building those type of things. I'll just get him a one to ten scale of WikiHouse, and then we've got the laser cutters here. I just make a puzzle pack. Try it. No, Try I'm it. Really wanting. Well, and then what you should do, right, is is make those little puzzles, and then 
sell them as toys and uh, on and the thing and so people could buy little wiki house kits and you can make a m- money out of open source information i think we pretty much just thought i think we've had to make <laughs> make my millions until people find out they can do it themselves and lazy cut and i'll be like damn it, damn it. you you'd be am- amazed because actually what if you look at what digital platforms sell they sell convenience so even though people can do it themselves not everybody wants to, right? And that's the point. And actually, more broadly, the idea of custom build. People think, oh, self-build, I've got to build it myself. And no, it's not. It's actually creating a system and, and a marketplace in which you choose what, how much you want to do for yourself. And by the way, you don't have to do any of it yourself. You can just put money in and get it if you want to, but you just pay a little bit more. And I think that's, yeah. Well, I'm sold. So thank <laughs> you so much for doing this interview. That was fantastic. No, thank you. It's been thank fun. you. That was episode six of the Create More podcast with Alistair Parvin. Uh, I think you can all agree we went to some serious depth about the wiki house there. Um, I think I think the whole idea of kind of open source uh, kind of creative information is something that I can't, I'm just I'm really really interested in. I mean, if if you think of how this podcast is released. Um, this idea of kind of an open community and this kind of open source architecture. I mean, this podcast is done, you know, this, this podcast wouldn't have been possible 10, five years ago, you know, without me paying a lot of money or going through one of the big establishments. And I think that's Alistair's kind of, that's what's so interesting about the wiki house is that there's no, instead of having one centralized kind of place to produce and, and, and design, we kind of filter that down and decentralize to the point where anyone has the abilities. I mean, this podcast alone, I've done it. I'm at, I'm at home. I'm currently just recording this on my laptop. This thing gets put out onto a worldwide accessible database, which anyone can download for free. Um, you know, you can go on iTunes and you can, you can type in create more and my podcast pops up along with like the BBC and other podcasts. I don't quite have the same listening figures, sure. But I just I just find that amazing that kind of that they were in this time where the, you know that's that's possible. And I think especially with architecture, I think this whole idea this whole idea is just one that one that, you know, Alistair explained so clearly. It's just it's just it's exciting. And you can tell by the way he talks that he's incredibly passionate about it. I mean, this is really, it feels like he's calling type thing, doesn't it? And I just think that he's just a very engaging person to listen to. And I, and I really hope you enjoyed that. And uh, please, it would make me, it wouldn't make me, it would make me so happy if someone just from listening to this podcast went and did or built a wiki house design. So if you do and you have, please send me a photo on my Twitter account at Played Studio because I would love to see that. I mean, I'm genuinely going to go look at it and download uh, like one of their small houses and try and build it on our on our laser cut plywood machine to work. I mean, it does sound like the ultimate jigsaw, which actually sounds like a pretty damn good idea. So you heard it here first, not that anyone can't steal it from me, but yeah, I really, really hope you enjoyed that podcast and, you know, let me know if you did or is there anyone else you want me to interview or think of stuff? Um, but on to next fortnight's podcast, I was very fortunate to sit down with Mr. Ken Shuttleworth, who is the uh, founder of Make Architects and 
uh, well, come on, who doesn't want to sit down with their own boss for an hour and interview them in a small room? I feel it was a nice bit of role reversal from about five years ago to the week where where I first started to make. So I really enjoyed doing that as well. And uh, yeah, so that comes out in two weeks time. So thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed it, share it, please let me know. And uh, I will, uh, the next podcast comes out soon. So thank you so much. Bye-bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.